It's not the perfect, it's not the proud, it's not the stone heart that will not bow. It's humble sinners down on their knees who taste and see. It's not the wisest, it's not the brave, it's not the strong will so hard to break. It's humble sinners down on their knees who taste and see. Oh, how sweet the love of Jesus. Oh, how far he reached for me. Let my grateful heart sing louder still. Thank you for saving me. It's not my trophies that somehow this hope and Sorry about that, I put myself on mute, um, which is where some of you would prefer me to be most of the time. So praise the Lord. It's a great truth. Thank you for saving me. And we don't, I love how that song articulates, God doesn't save us because of who we are, he saves us because of who he is. 
And we don't come to God with, hey, look at me. We come to God with, look at Jesus. And he saves us based on that merit. And I'm, I'm so very, uh, very thankful for that. And uh, I was chuckling. I didn't plan this on purpose. But just as I was preparing for the sermon and then preparing for the song, I really wanted to have the text read without having to rush down to the piano. And Brother Max does a great job up here along with others. He does a great job and appreciate that. And I knew he would do a good job. But when I was texting him, I didn't tell him the text I wanted him to read. I just said, hey, would you mind reading the text? And I was giggling while I was doing it because I know his heart. He's going to be like, of course, I'll, I'll be a blessing, whatever I need to do, like so many of you just want to be a blessing. And then he asked, what's the text? And I just sent him a bunch of laughing emojis, and he did a great job navigating all those names. Did a fantastic job reading that. And so you'll understand, um, hopefully, why I had you uh, read through all of that in just a few minutes. The thought this morning is this, masterpiece is out of messes masterpieces out of messes. There's an artist, I'm not sure that many of you have heard of him. Uh, You can check this out later for yourselves if you'd like to. His name is Mbengani Buthalese. Mbengani Buthalese. His his artwork is displayed here in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe, and he's an artist that hails from South Africa. When he was a younger man, maybe even before he was an adult, he was aspiring to be an artist, but he was so poor that he couldn't afford art supplies, as the story goes. And so he had to find a creative way to express his artistic abilities, so he started going through garbage. He started going through recycling bins, and he would find different colored plastics, He would find yellow plastics, he would find blue plastics, he would find green plastics, he would find all these different plastics, and then he would figure out ways to heat them and get them to where they would start to melt a little bit, and then he would put them on some kind of background, and they would stick to that as they dried, and then after heating up those plastics and uh, sticking them to whatever the background was, he would then make these really incredible pictures. And from a distance, you can't tell what they're made out of, but then upon closer inspection, you realize that he's taking these plastics and he's heating them down to where they're very moldable, and then he uses them and he fits, he literally fits these these pieces of garbage into these incredible masterpieces that are displayed in many places all over the world. I, I watched a short clip of his work, and even today, as a world-renowned artist, in many circles, he goes into these recycling bins, to these garbage dumps with him and one of his associates, and you can, you can see him pulling out this garbage. It's, it's stunning to watch. Things that people have cast off. Things that people think, there's not really much we can do with this. And he's intentionally just pulling it out. And then he takes it and he sticks it on this canvas and he takes this heating gun and he heats it and he melts it. He makes it to where he can mold it and then he sticks it on there and he ends up making these incredible works of art. Last week we dealt in our text with the first uh, five verses from Genesis 46. I want to remind you of one part of that in verse number three. 
Jacob has stopped on his way down to Egypt. He was obviously concerned. We won't rehash all of that. But he spends some time seeking God, seeking some assurance for God. And so God reminds him of the promise that he had made to Abraham, that he had made to Isaac. And he is again reminding Jacob, this promise is yours. And he says in verse number 3, Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Now, if you're paying attention, I started reading in the middle of verse 3. Here's what comes at the beginning of verse 3. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. He tells Jacob, I have promised that I am going to do this. And the fact that you are leaving the land that I've promised you to go into a land where for hundreds of years your descendants will be enslaved, that's not going to limit my ability to fulfill this promise. So you go down there and based on who I am, and this is important, because I am God, then you can be sure that I will keep my promise. Be honest, be transparent about others and about ourselves. People with good intentions can fail to keep their promises to us at some times. And it doesn't even mean that they, they are bad people in the sense that they were trying to do it, just we're limited. And sometimes we promise things and we fully intend to do things, but we fail or we struggle or we come up short. Sometimes people intentionally break promises. They make promises to manipulate. They make promises to get something from us. And when they have what they want, then they go out and do the opposite. And then there are those times, if we're being fully transparent, where we have failed to deliver on promises. I think about the times when I've said, yes, I'll do this to my children. Or yes, I'll do this for them. Or yes, I'll do this for Andrea. Or yes, I'll do this for someone or something in the church. And how many times I've had to ask people to forgive me because we can say that, yeah, I'll do this or I'll be here or I'll get this done. And something happens and we come up short sometimes. I'm not... Don't misunderstand, I'm not justifying it. We just need to agree that it happens with frequency in our lives. Either to us or from us, those things occur all around us on a consistent basis. But Jacob isn't dealing with another human being. Jacob is dealing with not just a God. This article is important. I am God, the God of thy Father. And because of that, you can be sure of my promise that what I had promised to you in the promised land, I am going to fulfill even in a place like Egypt. And so, when God promises, we need to be faithful to obey Him and go where He says to go. Beginning in verse number 8, we are reminded of His family. It's a chronology of everyone that was with Jacob that came to Egypt. And here's why it's important. Because the promise of God would be fulfilled, the promise of God to Jacob would be fulfilled through these people that are mentioned. So God says to Jacob in verse number 3, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. Then in verse number 8, we see a detailed list of the people God is going to use to fulfill that promise, to make of Jacob a great name. Understand this, God's going to use these people, verse 8 on, in order to do what he promised Jacob he would do. So I was curious, as I can tell you are here, and I'm sure you are at home, and these 
These people must be some amazing people. If God's going to fulfill His promise and add to it the difficulty of being in the land of Egypt, if He's going to fulfill this promise, let me read you the promise. Again, in verse number 3 at the end of it, for I will there make of thee a great nation. We're not talking about some small time thing. It's not like I'm going to take you to McDonald's and buy you an ice cream cone. I am going to take you and make from you and your descendants a great nation, meaning this, the world will know your name. That's a big promise. And so then in verse number 8, down, we see the people that God's going to use. And so you think such a great promise would necessitate God using great and amazing people. Oh, no, think with me. This, logically, this makes sense from a human perspective. That the level of the promise would require the level of the people to be equal to that promise. Makes sense logically, right? So, I, I can tell you're on the edge of your seats at home. I can see it. the camera's actually shifting a little bit because of the intensity of your curiosity. Uh, consider Reuben. He's mentioned in verse number 8. Reuben had good intentions in chapter 37 when his brothers all, Joseph's brothers conspired against him. And he was going to secretly return him to his father. Here's the problem with that. God doesn't call us to secretly do right. He calls us to do right. Yeah. Yeah, and I understand Reuben had good intentions, but he should have just stood up to his brothers. Well, that could have gone badly. It may have. But God doesn't ever use bad consequences as a reason to not do right. Yeah. <laughs> and so he should have stood up to them. You go back into chapter 35 of Genesis, and this is what you find out that he committed a great moral failure and had a very inappropriate relationship with someone in his own family. You talk about Simeon and Levi, and they were mentioned here. You go into Genesis chapter 34, and when their sister Dinah had been taken advantage of, but not, I do not believe in a criminal way, and the, the relationship wasn't appropriate before God, but it could have still been dealt with in a right way and come to a better conclusion. And rather than trying to handle things honorably, they deceived the men that Dinah, the, the, they deceived the man that Dinah had a relationship with or that had the relationship with Dinah and then his father and the entire village of people. And they end up killing them all. They wipe out an entire village. Judah, he would turns out to be a very important character in Israel becoming a great nation. Again, Jesus would come from Judah's tribe. This is how Judah started off. You go into chapter 38, and he has an inappropriate relationship with someone he thinks is one person, and it turns out it's his daughter-in-law, but he doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law and finds out that she's with child. He thinks it's because she's been unfaithful. Turns out he's the actual father, and he wants to have her burned for the very thing that he did. Yeah. And we could talk about Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun. And this is what we know about them, though nothing else that I'm aware of is mentioned. They were all willing participants in the plot to first murder Joseph and then to sell Joseph. And if that wasn't enough, they then deceive their father and rise up. You remember the language of the text. They rise up to comfort him while Jacob is mourning the loss. 
what he thinks is the certain loss of Joseph to a very violent death. And they rise up to comfort him as though they are really concerned about the emotional state of their father while they rattle the money in their pockets that they made after selling Joseph out and then years, spend years covering up that sin. So logically, this is what we think. The level of the promise would require the level of the people to be equally as high. But when we look at the people that God will use in chapter 46 to fulfill his promise to Jacob, to Isaac, and to Abraham, this is what we find. That their level is not equal to the promise in many ways. You know where their level is? Way down here. Many of them. We are dealing with deeply flawed people. These people, no, these men that we're talking about, and I understand we only went through a few names, but these men that we're talking about, they are deeply broken and wretched. We're not talking about, it's still sin, but we're not talking about taking cookies when your mom said not to take cookies. We are talking about taking advantage of people in life-altering ways. We are talking about moral depravity and decay. We are talking about violence against people and taking advantage and taking life. We are talking about some violent and carnal and self-centered people who really demonstrate over and over that they are driven by the appetites of the flesh and they really have no interest in restraining themselves on any level. They are deeply flawed. Can I tell you this about them? They're deeply irritating. I read about this stuff and I don't go, man, that's amazing. I go, man, you people are a bunch, I'm sorry, jerks. That's what I think. People are so irresponsible, you're so self-centered, you're so concerned only about yourselves that you would sell out your brother, you would sell out your father, you would, you would put people's lives at risk, you would hold people to one standard while uh, holding yourself to a much lower standard. You are full of selfishness and wickedness and sin. My heart's not moved with compassion. I am irritated with you. Let me just be honest. This isn't the only time in history that we find deeply flawed and deeply irritating people. People were flawed and irritating before this. And they sure have been flawed and irritating since then. And we sit there and say, yeah, amen, those people. You could ask, man, I, I sure did enjoy the special this morning. I have a relationship in my family with all of those young women that were up here. And I said young on purpose. They were all young women. Different categories of young, but they're all young, hallelujah. I love each one of those ladies, and all of them have interaction with me on deep levels. And this is what they can tell you. I am both flawed and can be very irritating. You just take you just take the preparation for that special this morning. Last night, Pyle is deeply flawed and deeply irritating. Because I insist, anything that goes wrong in a special is never my fault. <laughs> Always 
It's always got to be somebody else. No, you're singing this wrong. It's not possible that I would ever play anything. Come on, you understand what I'm talking about. You say, okay, yeah, that's true of you, Pastor. It's not just true of me. You are flawed. And whether you want to admit it or not, in life there have been times when you have been deeply irritating. I'm not just talking about in these shallow little ways. I'm talking about deeply flawed in ways that hurt people. And talking about being irritating, not just because, oh, that kind of gets on my nerves, but irritating in a way that can hinder or can hurt people and hurt relationships and cause things to go south. We have been there. And sometimes, maybe even this morning, watching or here, we are there. But this is what I love. Are you ready? (laughs) Everybody breathe and smile. We're almost to the point. (laughs) You ready? This is so good. Verse number three. Don't look at it. Look at me. God was aware of verse number eight when he made the statement in verse number three. (laughs) He didn't. Okay, this is what I've done. This is what you've done. We make a promise, and then when we, we, when we realize the parameters within which we have to perform that promise, we're like, oh no, I over-delivered. No, no, sorry. I over-promised, and I'm going to under-deliver. Oh, I should have thought through before I opened my mouth. <laughs> I've opened my mouth lots of times in basketball. <laughs> And then when I got on the court, I realized, mm, maybe it should have been a little quieter. <laughs> I told me, no, man, you can count on me, blah, 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 we'll do all of this. And then you realize, oh, no, you are a mess, and you're really irritating, and I don't want to help. <laughs> I will go and do this. You know how it is? You make a promise. I'll do this and this, and it turns out that this and this turns out to be this. Hey, y'all don't live there, do you? All right, that's fine. I'm not sure now. Not God. When he reminded Jacob in verse number 3, he knew who he was talking about, verse 8 on. I love this. And he still made the promise. You know why? Because God's execution of his promise and fulfillment of his promise does not depend upon the level of people. God gets his promises done. God has never failed to fulfill his promises. Here's the statement about God. His power is such that he accomplishes his purpose using imperfect people. His power is such that he is able to accomplish his purpose using imperfect people. Please make this distinction. I'm not saying that he can. I'm saying that he does. He always gets his purpose done. Now, someone cynically might be thinking, well, that's in the Old Testament, and that was the Abrahamic covenant, and that was to those specific people. Okay, good. I'm glad that you brought that up. Number one, we're told in the New Testament that those things happen for our ensamples. So it's not wrong to learn from the Old Testament examples. I'm not saying that we claim specifically in every way every single promise that was made, but we can learn something about God, and we can learn about how He works. And so we don't need to be afraid of that. So thank you for bringing that up. But number two, consider this. Have you ever heard of these guys? Maybe they will ring a bell. James and John. 
And you remember them. They go out preaching for Jesus. And this is what happens. People don't respond the way they want them to respond. And people don't treat Jesus the way they believe he ought to be treated. And so they say, Lord, step back. We'll call fire down on him. These people that we don't like, these people that don't behave like we want, these people that we don't agree with, we are going to blow them up into eternity. Now, just as a reminder, Jesus didn't condone that. This is what he said. You know not what spirit you're of. This isn't what I came here for. Peter, ever heard of him? That's a long list. Here's one of the things he did. He denied Christ. Thomas, heard of Thomas? He didn't say, it's hard to believe. He said, I won't believe. Not, he, didn't, he didn't say, listen, I want to consider the possibility, but I'm really struggling. That's not what he said. He said, I will not believe. Talk about Paul. I mean, he was kind of significant. I'm doing this as an indication of how much of the New Testament God used him to write. He was complicit in killing, arresting believers. And yet in all of these people, God used them to get significant things done. It's not an Israel thing. It's not an Old Testament thing. It is a God thing that he can use imperfect people to accomplish his purpose because of who he is. Now, don't misunderstand this. Please don't misunderstand. There are consequences for sin. Look at chapter 46. This is one example of this in our text. Chapter 46, verse number 12. And the sons of Judah, Ur and Onan, and Shelah and Perez and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. If you go back and you study earlier in Genesis, Ur was wicked, and Onan did not want to have responsibility to raise up a seed in the name of his brother who had died. He didn't want the financial obligation, and so he, t- he intentionally manipulated circumstances so that he would not have to obey God and bear the burden. He tried to go through the motion to look like he was obeying God, without actually obeying God, and God judged him for it. This isn't some kind of fluffy unicorn message where we can just do whatever we want and there are never consequences. No, you do reap what you sow. And there, even in Jacob's testimony, there were consequences for his sin, there were consequences for the sins of his sons and his grandsons. And let me say this, there are unnecessary complications in life because of sin. I agree wholeheartedly with what Brother Max prayed, and I'm thankful for the fact that he prayed it, and I'm thankful for the emotion that you got to see, that we all ought to be feeling in one way or another about it, but that the reason there is so much complication is because people won't turn to God, and God's people won't help other people turn to God. And when God's people don't live like God's people, and when people reject the authority of God in their life, The result is always a complicated mess. And you can trace every chaotic thing that's happening in this world and in this country right now back to this root of we sin and we reject Jesus ruling in our lives. Let me just tell you, just don't misunderstand. There are issues of testimony and trust. 
And we've talked about this. I'm not saying that. There aren't times when people have to earn trust back and improve and prove to others that they are trying to make things right and better. I'm not saying there shouldn't be those times. I'm not saying that we should just settle for whatever we are. Well, this is the best I can do. We should always be striving to be the very best that we can be because God deserves it and people are worth it. But here's, here's the danger. It's that we evaluate the fulfillment of God's promise or God's purpose based on us or based on others. And God doesn't fulfill his promises based on us or based on others. He fulfills his promise based on who he is. What do you mean? Consider this. There are some of you that are tempted to give up on yourselves because of areas that you failed in. You think, man, I've messed up. And that mess up has come with consequences and it comes with some complication and it comes with difficulty. And because I messed up, there's just not, I just, I just don't know that God can use me. Can I just remind you of Judah? Can I remind you of James and John? Can I remind you of Peter? Look, I'm not saying that there's not a consequence. I'm not saying that there's not a process of restoration. I'm not saying that there aren't things you have to work through and go through. But God can use your life. Because his using your life isn't depending on you always being perfect. Because he knows that you're not. And some of you want to write yourselves off because you messed up. Here's the only way you're going to be written off. Is if you continue to resist God's work in your life. You continue to harden your heart. And you continue to reject him. That'll result in things being a mess. But he can use you if you'll allow him to. Here's another danger. We don't invest in people because they have messed up. Does it, we'll say something like this. Stay with me. We're almost done. Stay with me. We'll say something like this. Well, people like that. Well, those people. Well, that thing or that. Look, I'm not... You know, you know me, you know the kind of preaching that happens from this pulpit, I am not endorsing sin. And I'm not saying that we ever take things and sweep them under the rug, but we write people off based on where we're at and where they're not, or based on our experience and how we don't understand theirs, or based on where we come from and where they come from, or based on our ideals of life and their ideals of life, when we say, well, I just don't know that anything good can come out of that. And this is what you're underestimating, what God can do in the life of a person. And so we limit our investment. Sometimes, literally, this happens. Sometimes we won't pray for people. You say, that doesn't happen. Oh, it does. Sometimes we won't try to reach out to them. We won't try to witness to them. We won't try to talk to them. We, we won't try to encourage them. We won't, we won't confront them. You know, sometimes God works through the confrontation of people and you think, I just don't know that it'll do any good. We limit what God can do with people or we limit one more thing. We limit what God can do in spite of people. Do you, do you agree with this? That there are a whole lot of people in the world today that oppose God? 
we see it all over the place. I could, I could throw out public examples that you would all be familiar with. But how about this? Are you aware that maybe in your own life there are people that oppose God? See that? Not that they come out and say, I'm against God, but the direction they're living your, their life and the direction you're living your life are two completely opposed directions. You aware of that? Yeah, that goes on. And this is what you can think. I don't know how God can use me or take care of me when the people in my life are doing this. But can I promise you, God's not limited by their chaos. God will fulfill his work in your life because of who he is. His promise to take care of you, his promise to work in you, his promise to love you is not dependent on the level of people. <laughs> okay, I'm comforted by this. I'm sorry for dragging this out. This is just a really happy thought. I believe God wants to work at West Valley Baptist Church. In spite of everything that's going on, I believe he still wants to work. I don't just believe that he still wants to. I believe that he still is. One of my great wrestlings before moving here continues to be my greatest wrestling as a member of this church is this. God, I'm not at this level. But you know who I'm reminded is at that level? God. <laughs> I was going to be snarky and start calling out some of you. <laughs> you know who is at that level? God. And that doesn't mean I settle for being down here. But no matter where I'm at, God promised to build his church. Doesn't mean my decisions don't have consequences, but God promised to build his church. It doesn't mean that we don't have challenges. It doesn't mean that we don't have to learn how to execute at a very high level, but God is the one who promised to build his church. In your life, his work and his promises don't depend upon your perfection or the perfection of others. You know what I'm thankful God does? He's kind of like that artist. He looks in the garbage, and this is what he says. People may discard that, but I can use it. Not because other people approve of it, not because they like it, not because they demand it, but it's who I am. I can take that, no, that artist, this is what the artist does. I can take that trash and make something worthwhile. Sometimes you might tend to think about yourself. Got too much trash. Sometimes you might tend to think about others. Too much trash. Can I tell you that God can take those messes and he can make something that's worthwhile in our lives. So this is what you have to do. Number one, you have to humble yourself before God and believe that he can. Number two, you have to, you have to make decisions to live life his way. You know what? You know what the action had to be for God to fulfill his promise in Egypt, you know what the human action had to be? For them to all go down to Egypt. So there was obedience involved. There was an effort to obey. So identify in your life this morning the area. What is the, what is the one thing today I can do? What is the decision I can begin to make to obey God and to start to get my life moving in the direction that it needs to? Or what is the investment that I can make? What is the one thing I can do Maybe I'm already doing it, but what is the thing that I need to continue doing and trust that God will fulfill his promise? You answer that question, and you'll have the answer to what you need to continue or what you need to start doing, trusting that because of who he is, he will do what he promises. Let's all stand together.
every head bowed and every eye closed. In just a moment, we'll have a song. I want to ask you two questions. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you about you. I'm not going to ask you about others. I'm, I'm going to ask you the questions a little differently. Number one, here's the question. Do you struggle to believe God in your situation? Maybe your situation is because of you. Maybe it's because of others. But do you struggle to believe that God is working or that God can work in this situation? And you say, I, I want to believe that, but I struggle to believe that about this situation. Would you pray for me? I wonder, at home or here in the sanctuary, if there'd be some that, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you raise your hand. I see it. I see it. Yep, I see him. I see him. I bless you for being honest. Number two, I want to ask you this. Is there something in the application that God brought to your mind and you know in your heart, I need to do this? Maybe it's, I need to continue to. Maybe it's I need to start doing it. But I, there is a specific action because of who God is. There is a specific action that I need to take. Jacob and his family had to take the action of going into Egypt. There is a specific action that I need to take. Maybe I need to seek forgiveness. Maybe I need to change something. Maybe I need to seek out someone. Maybe I need to change this behavior, this attitude. Maybe I need to continue because of who God is, I need to continue praying. I need to continue caring. But whatever it is, you know in your heart there was a specific action. And you want God's help to either begin or continue that action. You raise your hand and say, would you please pray for me? Good. I see him. God bless you. Well, I'm going to pray. Then Brother Nate's going to sing. And whether at home, in your living rooms, in kitchens, or here in the sanctuary, if God has spoken to your heart, you humble yourself and call on him. Father, thank you for the time. Please help our response to you in Jesus' name. Amen. While Brother Nate sings, you come. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise Just to Thank the Lord for each one of you being a part of the services today. And whether here in the sanctuary or at home, wherever you're listening from, thank you so much for being a part of the day. I'm excited about the services tonight, and I hope that for the teams that will be here, you'll, you will make it a priority to be here at 5, and for everyone else that you'll tune in tonight. We have a guest speaker with us. John Landy is a missionary. He and his wife Grace and their sons, and they are getting ready for the mission field. And So I'm excited for him to be here tonight and to tell you where he's going, and then he's going to be preaching. There's actually a very good personal connection with him. I knew him. I overlapped with him in college. 
um, at Heartland Baptist Bible College, and then he served at Southwest Baptist in Oklahoma City in a very similar capacity to what I served in Stillwater, Oklahoma at Bible Baptist Church, and he was the college and career director, and that is a lot of what I did. And so I'm excited for you to get to know and meet the Landys. They're a great family, and they're going to be a blessing to our church tonight. And so please be here or be tuned in at 5 o'clock so you can be a part of that. Right after the service, uh, Brother Z normally posts the children's lesson, and it will be posted. It's, it might take a few minutes longer uh, because of some technical issues, but this week is Brother Valley, and I'm so thankful for Brother Valley and all the other teachers that are working so hard to keep these lessons online for our kids. That's a great help. And I know that my kids are enjoying it. Don't forget, you have until around two or three to get your pictures turned in. And so make sure, if you haven't, that you get some taken in front of an American flag. And we're, we're going to tally up the points, and we'll have an update on that tonight. And then, just so everybody knows, my family has been assigned teams. And I'm not telling you who they are. They just were. And I'm not responsible for that. They were recruited. My in-laws were recruited and my parents were recruited. And so y'all have to figure that out. And then on a, on a serious note, I hate, I hate to end the service this way, but it's not, it's not bad news when you think about it biblically. Cheryl Miner, many of you know her. Her mom passed away early this morning. She's, uh, her mom, I can't remember her name right now. It's on my phone, but she's 98 and she had a good long life, and she was saved. And I'm just reminded of the scripture that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so if you think about it today, I know Miss Cheryl sure would appreciate you praying for her and her family. It's never, it's never easy, but we do not mourn without hope. And so we are thankful for the salvation of Jesus Christ. So pray for Cheryl. Look forward to seeing you tonight. Sure do love you. God bless you. You are dismissed.